Hi, I'm Matt McMurray, driver of the number 90 Spirit of Daytona Racing Catalog DPI VR in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And you're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Let's go racing. The opinions and views expressed on Speedway Sounds are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, UC Irvine, or the University of California Board of Regents. Hello, car fanatics. In Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, Long Beach, and around the world, it's time for the most famous words in motorsport. The fire engine's here. Round three of the 2017 WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Chester, let's go racing. This week on Speedway Sounds, it's the week SoCal racing fans have been anticipating. The 44th annual Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach is this Friday through Sunday. I'll preview all the action coming up this weekend with my guests, Chris Vandegriff of the Historic Motorsports Association, HMSA, and the driver of the number 54 core Autosport Orica in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, Colin Brown. Chris and I will discuss the unique historic Trans Am Challenge race, and Colin will tell us about all the challenges of the team's first year in the prototype category ahead of the Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix, round three of that championship. All that and more this week on Speedway Sounds. All right, welcome. Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Tuesday, April 10th edition of Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Noah Stein. I'm so excited for today's show and this weekend, so let's get right to it. Let's go down the schedule of what you'll see this weekend in Long Beach. Tomorrow night, Wednesday, April 11th, is the Roar in the Shore, presented by the Belmont Shore Business Association. It'll run from 5 to 8 p.m. with free activities that include car displays, driver autographs, racing simulators, and motorcycle stunts at the Corona, at the intersection of Corona and Covina Avenues and 2nd Street in Long Beach. Later that afternoon is the Miss Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach 2018 pageant. The title of Miss Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach will be officially crowned at the contest finals beginning at 7 p.m. at the Hotel Maya on Queensway Drive near the Queen Mary. Admission to that event is free. On Thursday and Thursday night, two great drivers who have flashed their skills here at Long Beach and around the world, Juan Pablo Montoya and Elio Castroneves, will be honored at the Long Beach Motorsports Walk of Fame induction ceremony beginning at 11 a.m. on Pine Avenue in front of the Convention Center. 
Admission to that event is also free. The annual pre-race party, Thursday Thunder, at the Pike Outlet starts at 6.30 p.m. with a taste of the Pike, including food from local restaurants, as well as motocross freestyle demonstrations, motorcycle stunts, and a pit stop competition all on Shoreline Drive. Live music, driver autographs, and a car show. The festivities wrap up at 10.30 p.m., and admission to that event is also free. For the main weekend, Friday is practice day for all of the series, beginning with IMSA practice at a bright and early 7.40 a.m., followed by IndyCar, Historic Trans Am, Stadium Super Trucks, IndyCar once again, before the time trial sessions begin in the afternoon. Trans Am qualifying is at 3 p.m., followed by Pirelli World Challenge practice and IMSA qualifying for both prototype and GTLM classes at 4.45. The evening on track concludes with the first round of the Mategi Racing Super Drift Challenge at 7 p.m. Friday night. Off the track, there are plenty of great activities on Friday from an autograph session with all of the stars of, of American open-wheel racing in the Verizon IndyCar series at 4 p.m. in that series paddock. The Lifestyle Expo is open all day from 8 a.m. to 6, and the first concert of the weekend is Fiesta Friday with Ozo Motley. Saturday begins with practice and qualifying for the Pirelli World Challenge beginning at 8.45 a.m. Later on, it's race time for the historic Trans Am Challenge at noon, and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championships Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix at 1. Firestone Fast 6 qualifying for IndyCar is at 3.30, and the first of two stadium Super Trucks races is at 5. The finals of two drifting competitions is again at 7 on Saturday. At 6 p.m., off the track is the Saturday Rock and Roar concert with The Colt in front of the convention center. And of course, Sunday is the big day, the main race. The Pirelli World Challenge race takes place at 10 a.m., followed by a car parade, pre-race ceremonies, and the command given by Grand Marshal, the newly retired sports car and Indy car legend Scott Pruitt. Both Pruitt and fellow legend Parnelli Jones will also have an autograph session at 11 a.m. in the Promenade Atrium. The Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach begins at 1.40 p.m. Sunday, and last but certainly not least, the stadium super trucks will literally jump into action for one final race at 4 p.m. I'll now focus on one of the support races, Saturday's historic Trans Am Challenge. My first guest for this Long Beach Grand Prix preview on Speedway Sounds is the president of the Historic Motorsports Association, Chris Vandegrift. Welcome, Chris, to Speedway Sounds. Thank you very much. So, Chris, we will be overseeing the historic Trans Am Challenge, which will be running the Saturday of the Long Beach Grand Prix weekend. Please tell us a bit about this race. This race basically replaced the Toyota Celebrity event. Uh, Toyota decided not to do that anymore, and the Grand Prix uh, management decided to bring a historical element to the event. This is the 44th year of the Grand Prix at Long Beach, so it's it's got a long history. Yeah, so... You're also president. You're president of the HMSA. Could you tell us a bit about what the HMSA does? Its mission. Our mission is to preserve cars as they were run in period, and the cars are are um, not to be modified with current modifications, um, whether they be safety or or uh, performance. We want the cars to be as they ran in period. Interesting. So the period in focus for this weekend will be the Trans Am period. What are some of the cars that competed as part of the Trans Am period or series? So the Trans Am series, the historic Trans Am series that we're focused on, goes from 66 to 72. 
And that was really the start of the pony car with the Mustang, the Camaro, the Pontiac Firebird, the Javelin, AMC Javelin, those cars. That was really the start of it. And it was it was great for the manufacturers. Originally, it was just a manufacturer's championship, and then it became a driver's championship as well. Excellent. So in terms of the cars we're going to be seeing on Saturday, who are some of the drivers that we'll be seeing as well? The drivers are just everyday citizens. They're not, there aren't any personalities, so to speak. So you wouldn't recognize any of the names. It's the drivers, the participants are special in their own field, but it's as varied as you could imagine. For sure. So, yeah, the series and the race is designed to display all the cars then for the fans. Correct. It's, it's, it's the celebration is for the cars, not the drivers. There's, we have nothing to win, nothing um, that, that uh, memorializes where they're finishing position, things like that. It's really special at this event. We have every single championship winning car except for 1966 is going to be at the Grand Prix. That's really cool. What is it like to have your organization as part of the Grand Prix lineup? Uh, it's a massive honor for us. It's a relationship that I've worked 15 years at, and the Grand Prix management knows that they can ask me to bring a group of cars, and we bring the best that are in the country, if not the world. And everybody understands that, that the circuit doesn't have any tolerance it there's no forgiveness at this racetrack yeah yeah how long is the race going to be all of our sessions are 20 minute sessions um it sounds short but believe me when you're in that car uh, no power steering no power brakes no air conditioning they're heavy they're 3300 pounds at 18 minutes you're looking you're looking for that checkered flag you want to get out of that car wow that's incredibly cool yeah and so HMSA, not, this is one of the bigger events on the calendar? Well, um, yes, as far as spectators go. Obviously, it's small because it's only one run group. Mm -hmm. We've got 30 cars participating. We were limited to that because of the space that's available um, in the convention center to house us. We could have had 50 Trans Am cars here. Mm -hmm. um, but our biggest event, the biggest historic event in the United States is the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion at Laguna Seca in, uh, in August. Now it's the WeatherTech uh, Raceway at Laguna ah, yes. Seca. Indeed, that change just took place in this very month. Yep. So you mentioned the convention center. So are the cars going to be on display? Well, the there's, the, there's two different groups of cars. We have display cars that are in the Heritage Hall that are on the the street level of the convention center. We've got, I think, 10 display cars up there. And one of the cars up there is the 1969 Mark Donahue, Roger Penske, Sunoco uh, championship winning car that is, has just finished a complete restoration. That car is debuting. And then the 1968 Pornelli Jones um, Mustang, Boss Mustang, is going to be there. It's, it's going to be displaying. That's incredible. So a lot to see both on and off the racetrack. Correct. And then and then in the convention center in the in the um, far south corner 
is where our paddock is, and and uh, people are are welcome to come there and look at the cars, and and our participants are very welcoming as far as letting people get in the cars and sit in them. All right, that sounds amazing, and I can't wait to see it on Friday and Saturday. The race will be at noon on Saturday. Correct. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add as part of as president of the HMSA and? Uh, Come out, come out and see us. Visit us on our website, www.hmsausa.com. Tells our story, has lots of gallery photos of our different events. So, everything for for people to enjoy. Car crazy people. Excellent. And one more question, I did, definitely wanted to ask you about how did you, Chris Vandergrift, come to become president of the HMSA? Tell me about a little bit about your career in motorsport. Uh, my career in motorsports is long. Um, my family has been in motorsports for decades. My great-grandfather was a riding mechanic at Indianapolis. Amazing, my amazing. My family ran the original Can-Am series from 66 to 72. I started traveling as a member of, a working member of the race team in 1968, and I would travel from May to October uh, with the race team as a, as a part of the race crew. And then basically took a hiatus from, from motorsports. We lost a lot of friends in the, in the mid, late 70s. And got back involved in the 80s and uh, started running Indy Lights cars and, and IMSA WSC cars and, and uh, other IMSA cars. And started driving myself in 1988. And it just kind of became a career. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Chris Vandegrift, for taking some time to be here in studio on Speedway Sounds. Quite my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, and now Speedway Sounds sports car analyst Jake Moritz is going to take us through the point standings for all three classes of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the GT class of the Pirelli World Challenge ahead of their races this weekend. Hello race fans, my name is Jake Moritz and I'm going to be your Speedway Sound Sports Car Analyst for the afternoon. We're going to start with the prototype class of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. In first place is the Whelan Engineering Car with a total of 62 points. In second place, the number 54 Core Autosport Run Car with 58 points. Third is the number 5 Mustang Sampling Car with 56 points. The, uh, in fourth, the United Autosports entry with 54 points. And to round off the top five, the number 22 Patro Tequila Patron ESM car with 48 points. However, the Konica Minolta Cadillac uh, car is in sixth, is actually tied with the Tequila Patron ESM, as is the seventh place JDC Miller, Sport Miller Motorsports car, also with 48 points. Uh, so it's really, really tight up here in the prototype class. Let's move on to GT Le Mans. In first place, we have the Ford Chip Ganassi car with 63 points, a very strong showing from that team. In number uh, second place, the number 911, 911 Porsche GT car with 58 points. In third, the 912 Porsche with 55 points. In fourth, the 66 Chip Ganassi Racing Ford with 54 points. And also in fifth place, the BMW Team Raw, Letter Raw Letterman Racing Car with 54 points. 
In sixth, the Corvette racing car with 53 points. Uh, and in seventh, the sec uh, other Corvette with 53 points. And in eighth place, the Risi Competizione Ferrari with 52 points. And finally, to round off the top, uh, the final nine is the second of the team, Raw Letterman Racing BMWs, with 48 points. Just a uh, touch on these standings real quick. The Porsche has had a very strong showing this season, although the Ford is ahead in the points. It seems that the Porsches have really, really, really fast started to find their pace and their strength. That showing at Sebring was incredible and really showed what those Porsches are capable of. And with the new balance of performance, it seems that the new BMW M8 GTE car may have also finally found its stride. It seems that BMW's uh, balance of performance issues have finally been solved, and the rest of the season is looking very, very, very promising for them. Finally, we'll move on to the GT Daytona category. And first is the number 48 Paul Miller racing car with 65 points. Second is the Riley Motorsports AMG with 58 points. In third is the Mike Shank Racing uh, car with 55 points. In fourth, the Scuderia Corsa Ferrari with 53 points. And to round out the top five is the Monteplast by Land Motorsport Audi with 52 points. I'd like to point out that the rest of the field is very, very tight with only about five to six points separating the top 10 cars. It's uh, the GT Daytona field this entire year has been extremely strong and we've seen a lot of incredibly tight racing from that squad. Uh, I'd like to give a personal congratulations to the Paul Miller Racing Team for running an absolutely flawless race at Sebring, and their strategy and endurance in that race really showed, and they deserve that win. Uh, next, we're going to move on over to the Pirelli World Challenge. We're going to talk about the GT Drivers' Championship right now. Uh, so right now, we got Scott Hargrove up top with 26 points. We have Tony Vlander in second, also with 24 points. Um, let's see, in third, we have Daniel Morad uh, with 21 points and Michael Christensen with 17 points. But the real story here is the top three in the Manufacturers' Championship. We have Ferrari with 35 points with many strong showings this season. We have Porsche hot on their heels with 34 points. And in third, we have Mercedes-AMG with 31 points. So that's only four points separating the top three. So this is really anyone's game at this point. And we're probably going to see an incredible race at Long Beach with uh, Porsche and Mercedes both hot on Ferrari's heels. Sadly, the gap uh, between third and fourth is quite, uh, quite, uh, quite large. Uh, the difference between Mercedes-AMG and Bentley is over 16 points. Uh, but the rest of the field between Bentley, Chevy, Lamborghini, and Audi are all very tight. That will be all for my section of the Speedway Sound Sports Car Analyst uh, area for this afternoon. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you very much, Noah, for having me on as an analyst. And I hope to hear from you all again soon. And Noah, I can't wait to hang out with you this weekend at the Long Beach Grand Prix. And I'm sure we're going to get some incredible content. Have a great one, guys. And this is Jake signing off. My next guest will help preview this Saturday's Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix at Long Beach, round three of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. He drives for Core Autosport, which made its debut in the prototype category just this year, but the team has far surpassed expectations. He and his teammate John Bennett have had early successes this season, with a third place finish at January's Rolex 24 at Daytona, and a fourth place finish in last month's Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. Hello, Colin Brown. Welcome to Speedway Sounds. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
Thanks so much for being here. Before we dive into the upcoming weekend, I'd, I'd, li I'd really like to ask, what was your most memorable race in your career so far? Oh, memorable race in my career. That's a tough question. I would say one of the ones that ranks up there pretty high, obviously, would be winning the 24 Hours of Daytona um, with John Bennett in the Prototype Challenge class a few years ago. That was a big moment, uh, really big uh, for, the, for my career and for the whole team. Um, also winning, uh, you know, in Michigan, won a, won a truck series race in NASCAR. That was a pretty big, uh, pretty big moment for me as well. And then I think the third one probably is, uh, you know, standing on the podium, finishing second at the 24 hours of Le Mans when I was 17. And so I know that's three answers to your question, but uh, any one of those three were pretty big moments for me. Oh, yeah, all of those are awesome. And I do remember watching that truck race so many years ago. As I was a huge NASCAR fan at the beginning of my like autosport fan watching, and then I branched out to sports cars and a whole bunch of other sports. Nice, yeah, that was a great day. I mean, uh, kind of neat to be able to beat Kyle Busch straight up, um, you know, in a race, and and uh, especially in that day and age in the truck series, he was the guy to beat. We finished second to him quite a lot that season, so it was definitely nice to uh, to beat him at least one time, which was fun. Yeah, for sure. And Kyle Busch, one of the greatest of all times, one of the greatest of all time in the Truck Series. So your absolutely, IMSA, yeah, yeah. So your IMSA team is off to a great start. Currently sitting second in points after the two biggest endurance races. You're just four points behind the number thirty-one Whalen Engineering Cadillac, and you're ahead of many powerhouse teams, including Acura Team Penske and the defending champions Wayne Taylor Racing. It certainly looks like your team has mastered the biggest races. So why is the number fifty-four team so successful in this first part of the season? Well, you know, I think um, the strength of our team is, is just we're, we're a small team. We, uh, we don't have a you know, ton of staff, but the staff that we do have is, is really focused, and we're all pulling the rope in the same direction. We, um, we have, in a way, really no pressure on us. We don't have a, a big manufacturer-driven program. We're just a you know, small group of guys out there trying to do as good a job as we can, um, we're all very focused on just trying to continually improve and get better and get better. And, um, you know, I think that allows us to move quickly and make decisions quickly. And, and um, you know, all we have to answer for and answer to at the end of the day is just ourselves. We're just so focused on trying to get ourselves better and, and smarter. And, and so I think that allows us to be quite quick and quite swift, which is good. For sure, yeah. And – one of the things I think is most important when, when determining how successful you guys are is that you've been paired with your fellow co-driver, John Bennett, for a while. You've been competing co together with the Core Autosport team since 2012. And that's kind of somewhat rare to have a driver pairing last that long. So what is it like to have a long-lasting driver pairing? Uh, it's great. And again, I think that's uh, like you said, part of the reason we've had success. I mean, for... Uh, for John and I, we know each other really well. We've driven together for a long time. We're able to um, to both sort of drive the car in the same style, which I think is quite helpful in getting our car set up well. We're not having to uh, you know to learn one another like a lot of these lineups have been uh, this year that we're competing against. And so I think that lets us just buckle down and get to work. And um, you know, again, I think that goes to just kind of be in the small powerhouse, you know, under the under the radar maybe sort of team. But, um, you know, it allows us to just be efficient and we can get a lot of things done and, and we don't, um, 
we don't have a lot of outside pressure on us. I mean, we're just so focused on trying to uh, to incrementally improve every time we go on the racetrack. And, you know, honestly, we're really not focused on the competition as much as we are on just trying to continue to get better ourselves. Certainly, certainly. Another important part of what you were saying is that your team races one of the international LMP2 category cars, a Gibson-powered Orica 07, which is different from many of your competitors that run the DPI or Daytona Prototype International Formula. What are some of the advantages or maybe disadvantages of competing with a Prototype 2 car? Well, I would say with um, with our car, we've got a great uh, chassis manufacturer in Orica. They've obviously built a very good and reliable car. Uh, we have a very good and reliable engine in in the Gibson power plant. And so um, I think while we may lack a little bit of the, um, you know, the influence and sort of the, the, you know, styling elements and some of the resources that the cars that are backed by manufacturers have, we do bring a lot of, uh, of reliability and, and proven, you know, parts and pieces on our car. So I think, um, you know, going to races like Daytona and Sebring that are long and very grueling and hard on parts and equipment, it's really uh, played in our in our favor having a car that has been so proven. I mean, Ulrich has done such a great job in, in building a car that's just reliable and, and the same with Gibson on the engine side. And so we're able to go to the racetrack and just work on, you know, our own, our own plans and, and knock on wood, we've had uh, incredibly good reliability. And so that's played uh obviously played well into our hands so far these first two races for sure for sure do you and your team feel fully confident in the new car or do you think there's still a lot to learn uh it's a good question i mean we're learning a lot about our new car um you know core auto sport guys have done a really good job in starting out the new car but um we've gone to some very unique and different racetracks every time we've we've run our car so you know, you go to a place like Daytona, high bank, infield sort of roval setup, and then we go to, a, you know, normal kind of standard racetrack, really bumpy, and, um, you know, it has no oval features like Daytona did at Sebring. And then our third race coming up is, is the Bubba Burgers race in Long Beach, and so a steep course. And so all three of those tracks are drastically different. And so um, we've yet to to kind of go back to a similar style racetrack and get a second chance at working on our setup package and, and continuing to refine the sort of standard road course setup. So we're looking forward to uh, to getting to mid-Ohio, which we feel like will be a, a kind of a different variation of, of what Sebring was and really be able to uh, continue to work on our, our setup package rather than bouncing from track to track to track. Yeah, that's a very good point, and it leads me to my next question. Round three, as you were saying, of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is in Long Beach this weekend, and it is only 100 minutes or an hour and 40 minutes. That's just under 7% of the time in the Rolex 24 at Daytona, and you also have very limited practice time on a very difficult circuit. So how do you adjust as a driver to the shortest race of the calendar? (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. We always joke, you know, you race at the... Daytona and Sebring, you're in the car for, you know, two, two and a half hours, sometimes three hours of driving by yourself. And then you get out, take a rest and do it over again. And so you come to, uh, you know, to this race and the whole race isn't even as long as one of the driving stints that we did in the prior races. So quite a a different pace and and feel to the race. But, um, 
you know, I think we're we're set up to do well. I mean, John and I have won this race in, in the prototype challenge class a few years ago at Long Beach, and we both really enjoy the track and the fans and, and uh, kind of the experience that Long Beach is. And so, um, you know, again, a new track style for us. And so we're going to do like we've done the last couple races and show up and try to uh, work on our car and keep making it as fast as we can and, and see how the race plays out. But it's, uh, I'm sure, going to be an exciting one. Excellent. Last year at Long Beach, the team competed in the Grand Touring Daytona category, and that category was responsible for quite a bit of chaos in the race. What are your thoughts on moving from the class that gets passed to the car class that does all the passing at this race? Yeah, I'll tell you, being in the prototype class and getting to pick the moves and make the moves in traffic is uh, is really, really nice for me. Um, oftentimes, you're a bit of a victim when you're in one of the slower GTD classes or even GTLM classes, just just because the guy that's doing the passing has, you know, 80, 80% of, of the responsibility to make a clean pass and make the move at the right time. So you can definitely get uh, sort of victimized, I guess, by the drivers in the prototype cars. And so looking forward to being back in the prototype car um, and also, you know, having the experience, I think, of what the drivers in the slower GT cars are going through will help overall because I'll be able to make some better decisions and help those guys, which will in turn help me, um, you know, race clean and get through that slower traffic. And, and both John and I have that same experience. So I think that's going to be uh, definitely something that plays into our hands. For sure. Just briefly interrupting the interview here to say you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The show currently playing is Speedway Sounds. Unsilencing America with Ellie will come on in just a few minutes. For sure. Is the race, uh, as we've seen over this year, uh, the GTD class was removed from the Grand Prix of Long Beach. All three of the classes last year raced, but not the GT will not GTD will not this year. So, do you think the race is better with the GTD class or without it? Well, you know that's a tough question. I think um, you know I think as, as as purely a race fan of IMSA and what they're doing, I think. Uh, you know, packaging our events so that we always have the same classes at all the races makes sense from sort of the the marketing side of motorsports. Right? I mean, you want to have the mm-hmm. same drivers, the same teams, the same cars at all the events. And so I can understand from the marketing and kind of that component where it would make sense to have the GT cars here at Long Beach. But on the flip side, on the purist and the racing side, certainly that's a lot of cars. And as we saw last year, a lot of uh, – you know, a lot of turmoil, a lot of uh, contact, and just, you know, really tight sort of, uh, of track to fit that many cars on. And the speed difference is quite a lot. And so from a competitor and, and, and race, um, you know, race not being all under yellow flags, I, I understand the, the decision to not have that class. But, um, yeah, I mean, part of what sports car racing is is multi-class differences in speed, guys trying to get through the slower traffic and, you know, while they're having their own race. And so, you know, I'm kind of 50-50 on, on uh, that question, I guess. Yeah, definitely. What is it going to take to win against your competitors, the 31 Cadillac and your other competitors at Long Beach? Is it going to be consistency and patience or aggressive driving and pushing the limit at every corner? Uh, I think the answer to that question is yes. I think it's going to take both of those things. Um, many years we see at Long Beach where, you know, you've got to be smart and patient and, and make good decisions and, and you know, uh, really respect the racetrack and who you're racing. 
and then oftentimes at the end when push comes to shove, it comes down to uh, to really laying on the line and making making the pass or making the move stick uh, in traffic or around one of the other competitors. And so I think having the ability to know when to really push and lay it on the line and when it's worth it, and then when you know uh, you're smart to just be patient and and you know give way and live to fight another day. I think that uh, decision and, and that decision making is often what either wins you, loses you, or gets you crashed at a place like Long Beach. For sure. Off the track, what are some of the things you like to do in Long Beach when you're here? For example, are you planning to go sightseeing or maybe out to dinner at a certain restaurant? Yeah, so I love coming to Long Beach. Just the feel of everything and the city is really, really fun. I like... Um, love going out to eat uh you know certainly getting the chance to uh, to walk around and, and you know kind of see the sights in the area cup uh check out a couple of restaurants my brother actually lives uh lives out in burbank uh california so he'll he'll come out and, and visit and we'll get to spend a little bit of time uh just kind of you know enjoying things and then uh going to the racetrack and, and doing our jobs that's excellent looking forward to seeing your number 54 orica out on track on friday and saturday Thanks so much, Colin Brown, for coming on to Speedway Sounds and talking about the race this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to uh, seeing all the fans that come out, come and say hey. All right, that's it for this week on Speedway Sounds. Thanks so much to Chris Vandegriff and Colin Brown for taking the time to talk with us today, Jake Moritz for his analysis, and the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach Media Department for helping us cover these races. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Speedway Sounds, all one word. There will be a ton of content this weekend on all three platforms, including videos, interviews, blogs, and so much more, so follow for that. Always wear your helmet and never ever drive distracted or under the influence, and please always wear your seatbelt. I'm your host, Noah Stein, and you're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Let's go racing.